would, turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 16. Psalm chapter 16, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. Psalm 16 is one in which it directs us right into the very presence of God, speaking of where we find safety. And though we did not know the path of Irma, and we still do not know its ultimate destination, we know that God's Word has been waiting on us to dive into it, to know what he believes and what he proclaims about himself in the midst of troubling times. If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm chapter 16, verses 1 through 6, thus saith the Lord, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good beside you. For As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another god will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You supply my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my, inher my heritage is beautiful to me. You may be seated. As we're praying for Florida, I want to quickly change the season on you to begin this morning's message. Think about it for a moment. We have Juan here this morning, and he has a son named Alex. Fast forward a few months, come January, it starts snowing here in Alexandra and Leicester, and it starts snowing in such a way that you can't even see out the window. The snow is falling so heavy, it's those thick big flakes coming down from heaven. It's majestic and beautiful, but you know you don't want to be trapped out there. And Alex comes up to Juan and says, Dad, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Alex, Alex, what are you talking about, says Juan. He looks at Alex, and Alex is dressed, ready to go out in the snow. And he goes, Alex, what are you talking about? And Alex looks at Juan and says, Today is so-and-so's birthday, and I want to be there. It's their birthday party. I need to go. Juan says, no, you're not going. You're not going. And Alex responds, but I must go because I promise. The house is just two blocks down. And so Juan says, no, one last time. And Alex says, Dad, I know God will take care of me. Let me go. So Juan opens the door and says, Alex, I know you'll make it, but call me when you get there. And so Alex goes out the front door and he looks back and there's Juan looking out the window. Alex goes around the corner, continues walking a little bit. He walks here, walks there, looking. He can't really see, but he knows the way. He knows the ditch, he knows the road, and he follows the markers that he can see. And he arrives at the porch two, doors, or two blocks down and knocks on the door. The family opens the door, and they're surprised because Alex is the only one there for the birthday party. There's balloons, everything's set up because they bought it in advance before the snow came. But now Alex is going to be the one guest. And Alex pauses for a moment, and he looks back, and he sees a figure in the snow. Can't make out who it is, but it's just the right height. It's just the right silhouette of Juan. Alex didn't go alone. As though he walked, in front of him there was nothing but a destination. Behind them there was the assurance of protection. Though he didn't know it, Juan walked behind him the entire time, assuring that his son would arrive at the destination that he had planned. Though... Juan's plan to Alex was, call me when you get there. Juan's heart knew that he had to be 
watching over his son every step. When you think about it, where can you find refuge? It isn't always in the house. It isn't always in the situation that you would think. Sometimes it's under the protection of the one who provides refuge, not in the structures or the defenses of this world. That's why this morning's text is titled, The Refuge We All Seek. Because many times the plan and the purpose of our life doesn't lead us to a destination that is necessarily comfortable or safe. Maybe the journey from point A to point B is treacherous, but if we seek refuge in the worldly things, we will receive worldly refuge. There are places in Florida right now that people are believing that it is a refuge, and they will quickly find out that electricity goes away, that potable water runs out, that having a toilet that actually flushes is a luxury in the midst of a hurricane. When you think of these things, you realize that there's still things in this world that are greater than the things we build. And even if we build the most amazing structure, our days are still numbered. Where can we find refuge for all eternity? It comes in this Psalm chapter 16. It says, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Some of you know the life of David. Some of you know what tribulations and trials he went through, living in caves, being chased by kings, being under threat by neighbors and enemies. You cannot find safety in a fortified city like you can in the Lord. And this is why David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And I have no good besides you. Some of the texts, some of the translations say there is no good thing that I have besides you. When you're in the midst of a hurricane, or you're in the midst of a tornado, or you're in the midst of a blizzard, you can hold on to your resources, but you know they're finite. You know they're going to run out. But it's when you realize that you have nothing else in this world that's good besides God, that you realize that he never runs out. He is inexhaustible. There is everything in him and there is nothing outside of him that you could ever want. And from that we find that he is sufficient for everything we need. And so when it comes to the refuge we seek, we have to realize that our safety does not come from the defenses of this world. Now, I want to take you back in time a little bit here. When you think of America's defenses, that's familiar to us. But I want to take you a little bit further around the world to China. China built one of the largest structures of defense that this world has known, the Great Wall. But a wall is just a wall. One person's on one side, another person's on the other. It's a separation. It's not a true refuge. And they quickly found this out. There was a time in China's history in which rebels started doing what rebels do, inciting terrorism and taking over certain parts of government. And it came to a point in which the rebels had took over many of the main cities within the wall. And so there was a general by the name of General Wu. And as he faced rebels from within the Great Wall, he looked over the other side of the wall and he found the Manchus. The Manchus wanted to invade China. Think about it. You're standing on a wall and those who you thought were your friends are now your enemies. And those who you knew were your enemies are now even closer to you. How is a wall a refuge? Well, being a man just as he is a man, he barricaded himself in one tower of the wall. And that's the Shanghan Pass. That is the last place on the Great Wall of China as it meets the sea. The ocean on the eastern side 
So think about it. You've got enemies behind you, enemies in front of you, a wall that runs all the way to the mountains, and the last part of the wall that stops, and you've got the ocean. Talk about being cornered. Talk about being a mouse in a cage. And so he earns the name as the worst traitor in China's history. For you see, what he did was he had little choice but to defect to the Manchu side and allow them to come through the gate at the Shahan Pass. When they came through that, they then conquered the rebels that were inside the Great Wall and turned over the dynasty to those that were coming in from the outside. He had no choice. He had a great army, but there was no way he could fight because he was cornered. The greatest wall in all history, the best place to build a gate. You can't go around it without being seen. You can't go over the wall without being stopped. And you have to go through the one point, the Shahan Gate. But when you're cornered on both sides, the gate is useless. And so he earns the name as the greatest traitor as he opens the gate and allows the invading army in to conquer the rebels and the dynasty that was currently reigning in China and turned over the entire nation to the enemy's forces. When we think big, it doesn't always prevail. When we build big, it doesn't always save. I've never built a great wall. I've never built a castle. But I can tell you that my God encourages me not to put my safety in those things. And so I encourage you this morning on behalf of God do not always put your trust in the defenses of this world if you hope to always find refuge. If you're hoping to always find refuge, listen to the key word, always. If you only want refuge sometimes, trust the world, that's fine. Stick with that and you'll get it sometimes. But if you always want refuge, you have to place your trust in God. Moving on, this great wall can be seen through space. Everyone on this earth has a chance to see God in nature and hear about God from his word. Even though we can still see such a structure of this from space, it is nothing compared to God. You can see the hurricane from space. So you can see man's defenses and you can also see the things that threaten us in this world. But so often people say, I can't even see God. Are your eyes open to the one who provides refuge? Our safety also does not come from the deities of this world. The psalmist writes, As for the saints who are in this earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. He delights in those that are the saints, those that are connected to God in the right way. But the sorrows of those who have bartered from another God will be multiplied. Or those who side with a foreign God, those who put their trust in the one who is not the true God, they will suffer. Now he's not proclaiming suffering. He's not saying, if you do this, I will make you suffer. He's saying, what you ask for, you will receive. If you ask for false gods to be your God, you will receive false refuge. Let me say that again. If you ask for false gods to be your God, you will receive false refuge. When it comes down to it, there are three things that are attributed to the characteristics of false gods. And I've listed these three things, not because they're the most urgent thing that you will see in your life, 
but because we don't have the high places like the nation of Israel had. We don't have those that are going to temples in such a way in which they're burning offerings and they're sacrificing humans here in the United States in mass. There's still little stories every once in a while. But we do have others that worship other gods. These are the three characteristics that come down to a false god. Firstly, they're attractive. You ever seen those things on the side of the road? Have you ever seen those things on TV that pull you away from God? It's different for you just as it is for me. Each one has something that attracts us differently. But false gods are always attractive. Secondly, they're easily available. Call this number now and you'll get a blessing. Come over here and take this job doing immoral things and you'll be rich. They're always attractive. They're always easily available. And thirdly, they always make promises they can't keep. You get a new job doing things you aren't supposed to do for the Lord, or you take an opportunity to do something for yourself that you know is going to hurt someone else, but you do it anyway, and the promises that you thought you were going to receive quickly crumble. They fade away. They were never there in the first place because false gods always make promises they can't keep. Think about that. They're attractive, they're easily available, and they always make promises they can't keep. See, the psalmist continues on in verse 4. I shall not pour out drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. What he's saying in simplicity there is the actions they require, I refuse. The things that I would say about them, I refuse. He says, I won't even associate myself with these things. I won't even concern myself with them because they're false. It's like someone saying there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And everybody runs to the end of the rainbow. What do you find? You find no pot of gold. You end up trespassing and going to jail. (laughs) I'm just saying these are the examples of the world that so many promises lead to consequences. And the psalmist says don't even consider it. Don't even go in that direction. The key to this verse 4 is that we have a choice to offer. We have a choice to speak. We have a choice. There's a plant called the sundew that grows in Australia. And the sundew is this nice little plant that's very attractive. It's got a slender stem, a tiny round figure leaves with hairs on them that glisten as though they are dews from the sun. And you'll see what they have is these little fringes that bugs are attracted to. And so the bug comes over and sees something that's delightful and stops and immediately is stuck. And as the bug continues to vibrate its wings, trying to to lift off from the sundew plant, that triggers a response to the plant where it slowly engulfs the bug, just like the Venus flytrap, and brings it in and digests it, for it's a carnivorous These are the false gods of this world. They do not promise life. They consume humanity. They do not give us what we desire. They only meet their desires. They're not greater than God. There is one true God. And he reigns above all. But there are many deceptions in this world created by sin that drive us to be consumed by sin. Just as the sundew plant serves its own desires by consuming bugs, so are the false gods of this world. They do not bring life. They do not bring blessing. 
they make false promises and consume those who pour out their lives to them. And so if there's anything we are to give our lives to, it is to the one true God who shows us that he really is for us and not against us. That he does love us and he wants to be our refuge. For you see, when it comes down to this world, our safety does not come from the delights of this world. So we know the defenses, the deities, and the delights of this world fall short. They do not meet our needs. They pull from us rather than give to us. There's a nice place down in Florida that involves Mickey Mouse. And it's quite delightful to go there, I would think. I've never been. But I would say that people go there and they enjoy themselves. And the reason why I believe this is because people continue to go. If it wasn't delightful, they'd stop going. If it wasn't enjoyable, it would become an empty theme park. Yet people continue to go. Do you think they're open today? Anybody going today? No. Because though the delights of this world are enjoyable, they are not the place in which we find refuge. The psalmist writes in verse 5, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. This is talking about land. This is talking about provision. This would be the measure of someone's power and influence. And what the psalmist is saying is, doesn't matter how much I have in this life. God, you're my inheritance. You're bigger than the earth. You created it. You're bigger than the heavens. You created it. Your throne room is greater than all that I've ever seen. If you want an inheritance, the Lord is the one to be your inheritance. So it's not to say that you go and pick up the land and say, God made this, therefore, if I have it, I have God. I'd be like my son saying, I have my daddy's car keys, therefore I'm his son. No, you just have a connection. It's when God becomes your inheritance through a relationship with Jesus that you have all things. There is nothing that isn't connected to you through the one who is your inheritance. Think about it. If you want to go to God, you don't go through the world and through heaven and then get to God. You go straight to God. And if you go straight to God, then you have connection to everything he's created, which is everything that ever will be. So think about it for a moment that if he's our portion and our inheritance and our cup and our lot and anything else we could ever hope for, there's nothing in this world that we need. There's nothing in this world that we would want to chase after because he is what we need. I want you to take a look at this picture for a moment. If there's any hunters in the room, please don't shoot the screen. <laughs> when it comes down to it, hunting is enjoyable to some. I am not a professional hunter, and maybe someday the Lord will allow me to hunt more than I'm hunting now. Not because I enjoy the death of some animal, it's because it is good to eat things that are good ever had deer, it's amazing. Venison is amazing. But I'm not telling you that that's something you should go. I'm saying look to God. God created this world and we live from this world. And let me tell you a story of two hunters. Two hunters go out into the wilderness and they want to take a deer for the day. Each one wants their own deer and so they start going out to the place in which they've been hunting and they've seen a few but not the right one. Not one that looks like this with a rack like that. And so they walk out into the woods and they meet a bear. And it's not one of those small cubs. It's a mama bear. And what do you do when you see a mama bear? You run. 
Well, it's not the story where one says, well, I'll just run a little bit faster than you. That way I'll get away. You've heard that one. The hunters split path. One goes up a tree and the other one goes in a cave. John's up the tree. Bob's in the cave. And they wait. And they wait. And the bear thinks to itself, wow, this is a wonderful day. I found two hunters. What a great day. So the bear sits down and says, well, I'll just be patient. One of them will come to me. And so the bear's waiting in between the impasse of the two hunters, and the hunter in the tree is very, very patient. He goes, I'm safe for a moment unless that bear comes to the tree. John looks at the bear, looks at the cave, looks at the bear, and then he looks at the cave, and Bob comes running out of the cave, stops, sees the bear, and goes running back into the cave. He does this three times, and John is really confused by this point. The fourth time that Bob runs out, John says, why are you running out of the cave? And Bob pauses for a moment and he says, you don't know, there's another bear inside the cave. <laughs> when it comes down to the things that we think are delightful, we're quickly found with our situation in distress. It isn't always wonderful in this world. We are not promised a good day every day. But there's a person who's great every day. There's a God who's sufficient for every day. There's a God that will live forever, that always does good and never sins. Sin cannot be in his presence. There's a God who loves this world in such a way that he would make a way for sinners to come to him through Jesus. And so when it comes down to this life, we may think that the things that we find enjoyable, we should continue to do. Do what you love and continue doing it. Well, I'll tell you, if, you don't, if you're not picky about the things that you love, you may get disappointed. Because hunters go out and they don't come back with something. People go for a job and sometimes they lose their job. People have kids and sometimes kids make bad choices. And the next thing you know, you're living with the bad choices of those who are your children. This life can be disappointing, but God is always our refuge. And so, a thesis that I want you to take home with today is begin accepting refuge rather than making your own. There's a choice in those words. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you, not I create refuge from you. I take refuge in you, which means refuge had to be offered. There are many people in Florida over the last 48 hours that have knocked on shelters and they've been turned away, and they've had to get in their car and drive further to another place that had room. When you knock on the door of heaven and you say, God, be my refuge, there is always room. When you knock on God, he's already knocking on the door, waiting for you to open the door because he's offering refuge. There is no one who gets to heaven that says, I'm already a citizen. We're all refugees when we get there. When we knock on the door and say, Lord, let me in. Let me in, Father. There's nothing this world has to offer. There's nothing heaven has to offer. I need you and you alone. And God says, come through the Son, and you will have eternal life. And so we come to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And through that, refuge is offered to all. But we have to run to it and accept it. This is why not all will go to heaven. This is why not all will be saved. Not all will find the refuge that is spoken in verses 1 and 2. Or look at verse 6. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. 
He's not speaking of this world. He's speaking of everything that comes from God, through God, by God, and God alone. It is not us. It up to us to create our future. It is us to walk in the future of the one who created us. And as we walk with God, as we join God where he's at work, we will see that we will always be safe. We will always find refuge because it is not necessarily about our flesh and our blood, but about our spirit. If you're here this morning and you wonder, why is life so hard? Ask yourself, where are you seeking refuge? And as we were reminded earlier in today's service, if you're not going through it, you might be soon. If it's somebody else's turn and we're not thinking about when our turn is, it's coming soon. And so I ask you, where are you going to find your refuge? Are you going to accept God's offer to find refuge in him, or are you going to make your own? Are you going to stand on the great wall and find yourself in a trap? So remember, our safety doesn't come from the defenses of this world or the deities or the delights of this world. It comes from God alone, and in that, we may find safety. In closing, may I invite you to bow your heads as we go to a time of prayer, and then we will worship the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that we are insufficient for all this world will pour upon us. And Lord, I ask if there is anyone here this morning that is seeking refuge and not finding it, that they would turn to you. That if anyone here this morning is sensing that you are drawing them near to you to find refuge, that they would accept it. And Father, I ask that they would make that commitment now to you to walk and rest in your refuge. Father, there's also anyone here this morning that has never given their life to Christ to come to you, Father in heaven, through the only way you said is possible. I ask, Father, if they sense this, that they would respond. Lord, that they would make this commitment to follow Jesus and to walk in the ways that Jesus asked them to walk, to have eternal life, to be with you, and to find refuge in you, Father, and you alone. For it is through you that we have all things, and nothing in this world. Father, as people are making commitments this morning, as individuals are making choices in prayer, Lord, I just ask that we would continue to intercede in a way individually and corporately for those who are in Florida that are seeking refuge from the storm. It is by no chance this morning that you led us to this pastures, Lord. It is by no chance that we are moved by your spirit this morning to intercede for those who are in harm's way. Father, for those that are responding, those that are hunkering down, those that are terrified and those who have already fled, Father, we ask that your grace and mercy would be given to them in such a way that they would glorify your name and your name alone. Father, we give this time of worship and praise to you. If any man or woman needs ministry, ministering to or needs a time of prayer, may they find it in this hour and in your presence. And in Christ's name we pray.